There we go. And welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We're here to study the gospel of John. And so I've got a, uh, usually when we do a Bible study, I've always got a list, uh, a kind of a little introduction kind of thing. And so tonight is no exception. I should tell you, first of all, that this is, um, uh-oh, somebody's screen sharing. Wow. How do we get rid of that? Hmm. This will stop other screen sharing. Okay. Um, anyway, hopefully you can still all see over there. My screen is kind of doing strange things. Um, let me get rid of that. Anyway, I got an introduction for the gospel, John. I have to tell you the truth that I absolutely love this book uh, and teaching it. Yeah, somebody's still sharing a screen. I don't know if the others of you on Zoom are seeing. I'm seeing the Los Angeles Dodgers and their, and their record. How interesting. We're here to study the Dodgers. Do you want this one start screen share? Uh, yes, I guess I want to stop that. Uh, well, anyway, we better just keep rolling. Um, and we're viewing Ron K. If you're if you're hearing me, if you're we're, please hit your screen share and stop it because you're sharing your screen with everyone. Never had this happen before. Anyway, Ron K., uh, you can stop sharing your screen. That would be great. Or maybe get off Zoom. There, it worked. Thank you so much. Okay, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible to teach John, John's Gospel. Um, a gospel is a sort of a biography of the life of Christ. Um, there's a word that's synoptics is the word, okay? The synoptic gospels refers to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who all sort of parallel one another to varying degrees. John is not a synoptic gospel. His comes much later, and he writes his to add things that mostly the others don't have. I'll, we'll get into that a little bit in, in a second, but there's four gospels and uh, each one has a different perspective. Matthew gives the Jewish view of Christ as God's king. He starts with a genealogy from Abraham through David and right up to uh, Joseph. Luke shows uh, that he's the perfect man, Jesus is. So he uses a genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam, if you can believe that. Mark has no genealogy, and his point is that Jesus is the ultimate servant. They each have a different focus as they tell the life story of Christ. But John shows Jesus Christ from heaven, that perspective. It's a little out of this world, this gospel. The others start so normally, and you'll see as we get into this gospel, it, it instead of climbing up a mountain so you can get to the top and then look at the tremendous view, John starts out at the top of the mountain. And if, it, if your breath isn't taken away, you're not paying attention. Before we start, one other thing, those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, say amen so I know you're awake. Amen. Pretty good. Kind of sleepy, but all right. Um, Let's see, the Gospel of John has been called the Holy of Holies, the highest place theologically in all of the New Testament. Although Romans has more doctrine, John takes us to a, a glimpse of Christ that is so um, amazing and shows his deity so well. Um, it's written late. Jesus dies, depending on who you believe, in either 30 AD or 33 AD or the main two views of when he died. Doesn't matter that much when he died, but I'm just throwing that out there. John writes this gospel around 80 
to 95 AD, way later. John is an old man when he's writing this, um, but God gives him remembrance of what he's supposed to remember. John, just like the other three gospel writers, did you ever notice Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John never say, I'm Matthew, I'm writing this, I'm John. They never give credit to themselves. John does the same thing. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, so pretty much it's universally accepted that John wrote this gospel. It wasn't Peter, we know that for sure. That's mostly the gospel of Mark because he's kind of dictating as Mark writes. Um, let's see, we already talked about the date. Um, John clearly knows about the other three gospels. And so he doesn't include a lot of that stuff because it's already there in those three gospels. He's giving you what he remembers that's different. Um, key word in this gospel, and this word appears 98 times, is the word believe, right? I, Dave's lips moved right with me there. Believe, exactly. Here's a weird thing. If you know the life of Christ, John doesn't mention the genealogy, uh, which Luke and Matthew do, virgin birth, anything about the birth, Bethlehem, nothing. The baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, where the devil takes him, you know, in, in the wilderness and all that. There's no exercising of demons in this book. There's no parables in this book, no transfiguration up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and John was one of the people there. None of that's mentioned. Um, no uh, Lord's Supper, no agony in Gethsemane, no ascension into heaven. So you say, well, what's left? I'll tell you this, out of about half of the Gospel of John is the last week of his life leading up to the crucifixion. Um, let's see. 93% of the material in John's gospel is not in the other three. Kind of unusual. So uh, let's see. We already talked about the key words. The number seven appears over and over and over in this book. And it's not like John was counting. I think the Holy Spirit did it. Seven is the number of God. And so... Um, Let's see, there's seven miracles in the book of John, seven key discourses or speeches Jesus gives. Seven times Jesus will say, I am something, the bread of life, the resurrection, all that kind of stuff. Seven, seven, sevens all over the place. Um, let's see, yeah, we already talked about that. So there was this little boy and he's drawing something, sitting on the kitchen floor and his mom says, honey, what are you drawing there? And the kid looks up and he says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the mom says, well, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little boy says, well, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> anyway, that's my best little boy voice. I'm sorry. Um, John's going to draw a picture of Jesus Christ. And in drawing that picture, he's going to show us what God is like. I'll show you why we say that as we dive in. Um, let's see. These first 14 verses are an introduction, and in a sense, they are John's Christmas story. Remember, the virgin shall conceive, Mary, the no room at the inn, all that. That's all out in this gospel. But instead, we go right to the mountaintop. And as I said, Matthew starts with, Ab with Abraham and goes forward. Luke starts with a genealogy with 
with Adam and goes all the way forward to Mary, his mother. John goes way before that. Okay, we're going to dive in. Are you still awake? Say amen. John chapter 1, verse 1. I want, to, I want to ask you as I read this, what does it sound like? Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I, I just remembered I got to say one more quick thing. In this Bible study, I compare it sometimes to going on a vacation with your parents in the station wagon. I don't know if you did that. We did it every year. Okay. There were times when you're going 55 or 60 on the freeway and things are just whizzing by you and you're looking at scenery and uh, Ron K, you're sharing your screen again. Um, so you need to stop that. Thank you. Uh, I got to figure that one out when we're done. Sometimes you're just driving fast, but there's times when you get somewhere like, you know, the Capitol building in Washington, DC or the Grand Canyon, you pull over, get out of the car and investigate. John, the gospel of John is this, these first 11 verses, uh, 14 verses, we got to get out of the car and we're going to go pretty slowly. Just want to warn you. Okay. The answer to the question, what does it sound like? It sounds like the beginning of the Bible, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is how Genesis starts, right? First book of the old Testament. John knows that and he writes it the way he does. So in the beginning, you say, well, wait, what beginning are we talking about? The beginning. He's talking about the same beginning when there was creation. Okay. So slightly before that moment, what was there? Nothing. We can't conceive of that, by the way. No space, no time, no matter. Nothing. Just God, right? John says, before the beginning, in the beginning, when that was all starting, there already was the word. Okay, so we got to talk about what do you mean by word, by the word? Okay, the weird thing is this term, the word logos, L-O-G-O-S in Greek, would have great meaning for the Greeks, secular people who didn't believe in God or, God, you know, the Jewish God. But it also had great meaning for the Jews as well. Here we go. For Greeks... Um, what the Logos was, the philosophers, all the Greek philosophers, talked about the Logos, the word. And what it meant was the ultimate reason, the ultimate reason for everything, the sort of a Star Wars-y kind of thing with, it was the force that brought about the world, that brings order to the chaos that brings meaning to life it was a general term they did it was nebulous they didn't really have a god in mind it was just the logos let's not try to figure out what it is let's just call it the logos john is going to apply that word to jesus christ as the word for jews in the old testament when god shows up sometimes in the old testament the word of god comes to them certain prophets or the people of Israel. And it's literally the same as God himself, right? He is the word, the reason for everything in both Jewish and secular cultures of that time. So he's saying in the beginning was the word. What's implied is the word always, already, meaning in the beginning, when things are about to start already, the word was there. 
Okay. In verse 14, I don't want to rush ahead, but you're going to see the word became flesh. It's Jesus Christ. I'm not making it up. Same with verse 18. You'll see that, but we'll probably get there in nine or 10 weeks at this pace. In the beginning was the word already there. And the word was with God. The word for with in Greek is intimate fellowship face to face. No beginning. They were always face to face, intimate fellowship. The word, whoever it is, we don't know yet. Of course, you know, because I told you. And God, they were together. Okay. Now, before we get to the third phrase in this sentence, which is going to make your brain explode if you're paying attention, let me say, what is there that you know everything about? Everything. I raise sheep for a living. Good for you. Do you know everything about sheep down to their anatomy, down to the molecular level? Do you know? The truth is you don't know everything about anything, do you? And neither do I, right? How many have electricity in their homes? You flip a switch, it goes on. I understand. No, you don't. Neither do I. How many have television in their home? Whether it's a cable coming into a box or it's a satellite dish, I don't get that at all. I use it. I don't understand it. So if you say to me, look, all this God stuff, I got to really understand it fully or I, I can't buy any of this. To that, I say, what do you understand fully? What? Your own self? I do things every day and I go, I can't believe I did that right? I don't understand myself. So what's your point, Joe? Just this. If I was at the grocery store um, and I saw Chris there, okay? And I told you about it the next day. I went to Vaughn's yesterday. Oh, that's great. I, I saw Chris. I was with Chris. You'd say, okay, yeah, whatever. But then what if I said, I went to Vaughn's yesterday and I was with Chris? And I was Chris. You ever heard mental floss? Like, hmm, Joe, you maybe want to see a psychiatrist. You can't be with Chris and be Chris. Okay? That's because we're human beings. We're finite. God isn't. Do I fully understand this? No. But I bow to what it says. In the beginning was the word. We know later that's going to be Jesus Christ. And the word was with God. That's with God the Father. You got me with me so far? To be with someone means you can't be the same person, right? I was with Chris. It implies he's not you and you're not him. Yeah, we get all that. But then it says, and the word was God. Okay? So this is the doctrine, Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? And... To again, to try to explain God, you know, is pretty tough, isn't it? It's actually impossible. However, he's revealed himself to us in certain things that we can put the pieces together and at least apprehend it, if not comprehend it. With me so far? So far, we know before the beginning, already the word existed. We know that the word was with God, but now we find out the word was God. So, the doctrine of the Trinity simply stated has three planks. Number one, this one might surprise you. The Hebrew God, 
the Christian God, there is one God. Some of you were listening to me thinking he's going to say three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No. One what God, three who's. Okay? You say, I'm getting a headache. I understand. I was with Chris and I was Chris. Whoa. The word was with God and the word was God. Three planks of the Trinity. Trinity plank number one. There is one God. Here, O Israel, the Hebrew Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. Mono, meaning one, theistic. Christianity, Judaism, and believe it or not, Islam, monotheistic. Now, Islam has a different God than the God of the Bible, but I'm, stay with me. Monotheistic, one God, that's plank number one. Plank number two, within the nature of the one what, the one God, there are three personages. I didn't say person because he's a person, I'm a person, she's a person. God's not a person, okay? Personage. And the three, this is plank number three, are separate and distinct, okay? In the Bible, this doctrine is interwoven amazingly in places you wouldn't expect it to be, including, by the way, the verse I quoted earlier. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You say, I didn't, I didn't see the Trinity there. Well, it's because you don't speak Hebrew. In Hebrew, in the beginning, God, that's the word L, E-L. With me so far? God, settled, it's all done. That's not the word that's there. It's the word Elohim, which is plural. So you're saying gods? That's really, to be honest, it's what it says. Go quickly to Genesis chapter one. I wasn't going to do this, but I can't resist now. And I won't charge you any extra, I promise. Genesis chapter one, go there real quickly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's Elohim, plural. Okay. You say, well, I'm going to need more information. I'm going to need more proof. Skip down to verse 26. If, if you're, if you're, Brain isn't tied in knots yet. It will be right now. Genesis 1.26. Watch this. Then God, that's Elohim again. So I'm going to insert the words plural or singular to show you the Trinity. Watch. Then God, plural, said, let, <coughs> let us, plural, make man singular in our, plural, image, singular. In our plural likeness singular, let them rule over the fish in the sea. Did you get that? Sounds like it's kind of three in one. Let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? The Son and the Holy Spirit. Why, why couldn't he be talking to angels? Because nowhere does the Bible say we're made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of what? God. Go back to Genesis 1.1. One, one. one more thing. And you know what? You can accuse me of stretching things a little, but I'm going to do it here. Now I'll show you the Trinity in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God, the father, created the heavens and the earth. Okay, we got God, the father, We've still got two to go. Now the earth was formless and void or empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, that's two out of three. It's pretty good, don't you think? Holy Spirit, God the Father. No, Jesus. Look at the next verse. And God said, let there be light. 
Could that be a reference to Jesus Christ? Go back to John. You say you're stretching it. Maybe. Go back to John's gospel, chapter one. I'm going there myself. We're about to get into light is going to get mentioned over and over. It's one of the key words of this gospel. Okay. In the beginning was the word and the word was already there. And the word was with God and the word was God. Again, don't make me explain it. I can only go so far, but that's what it says. Verse two, he, that's the word, male pronoun, was with God in the beginning. Again, you can insert the word already. He was already there. Got the picture? Already there. So we're still talking about the word. That's the subject of verse one. It's the subject of verse two. He's the he that's with God. Now here comes the shocker. What did he have to do with creation? This word. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Do you have the picture there? He's saying that the agent that God used to create the world was none other than this word character, whoever it may be. And you know who it is. It's Jesus Christ. When I mention Jesus Christ, keep something else in mind. Okay. I want you to separate two things. Jesus, the man, Jesus, fully God. Okay. Because he was fully God and fully man. I need you to separate the two. Here's why. Because Jesus, the man, was born and started 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, roughly. You with me? Jesus, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Logos, the Christ, existed forever in the past. See the difference? Verse 14 is going to tie those two things together. Don't be reading ahead. I saw you. But for now, let's keep rolling. Through him... All things were made. How many things? All things. Jesus Christ is the creator. I could take you to Colossians 1, 14 and 15 and 16, which says the exact same thing. And there it's added that he sustains everything. He holds everything together. This Christ character. Through him, all things were made. And John knows that there's people that are going to try to equivocate and make exceptions. So he adds the phrase, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's a way of shutting the door tight and locking it, that there was anything that was made that wasn't made by Christ. What he's saying is, Christ made everything, and no matter what you can name for me, if it was created or it came into being or it was made, Jesus made it. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe Jesus is God, okay? They believe Jesus is a God, small g, whatever that means, okay? A lesser God. They believe Jesus is the archangel Michael, believe it or not. They believe that he's the first creation of Jehovah God, and he was not eternal, okay? When they used to come to my house, they don't anymore. They probably got my name on a blacklist somewhere. I used to invite them in, and we would talk about Jesus. Is he God? Well, he's a God. Okay, so you got a God, and you got the God, the big God, Jehovah. Yes. Is Jesus, was he created by God? Yes. See, Christianity says, no, he always existed. So I'd get a piece of paper and I'd write, make a big circle on it, okay? 
There's still room outside the circle, but most of the paper is circle. Uh, and I would write inside the circle, things that came into being, things that were created. And I would give the Jehovah's Witness a handful of change. Okay, now take the penny. The penny represents chickens. Where do chickens go? Inside the circle or outside the circle? Inside, things created. Okay, now let's talk about trees. Where were the? Here's a quarter. Trees inside the circle. Okay, here's a nickel. The nickel represents Jesus Christ. Where does he go? Inside the circle, things that were made? Yes, they put him inside. Then I read this verse. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, he can't be in the circle because if he is, that verse says he created himself and that's impossible. Do you see that? He's creator God. They do have that verse in their Bible. I'm glad you brought that up, Juanita. Their, their Bible, they have their own translation. And where they like to, where they needed to, they change it. John 1.1 in their New World Translation reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, small g. Is that in the Greek? No. Is there any reputable Greek scholar that believes that's the right translation? No, zero. But they have to insert that because they got a little problem here. But they do have verse three. It's a good question. Um, okay, so now I've forgotten to look at my notes and I'm probably going to get home and go, I forgot to say that and that and that. So we know so far that this word character is eternal because he was already in existence in the beginning and he wasn't created. Did you see that? Therefore, he has to be eternal. Um, you know what we should really do at this point is take a little detour. It's not really a detour and talk about a little more about the Trinity. I already gave you the de definition. Let me tell you that um, the Trinity shows up whenever anything big happens in the Bible. You say, what do you mean? In creation, that's a pretty big deal, right? The Trinity shows up. I showed you that. Okay, the baptism, oh, I'm sorry, the conception of Jesus, Luke 135, there's the power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit, the one in you will be the Son of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How about the baptism of the Lord Jesus? Do you remember that? They all show up. Who gets baptized? Jesus, second person of the Trinity. Who speaks from heaven? First person of the Trinity. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember that? You got two out of three. And what happens? The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. What a coincidence. No coincidence. Okay. What about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? If you get the notes, I can show you Romans 10, 9, Romans 8, 11, and John 2, 19, which each say, who raised Jesus? One of those verses says the Father raised him. God the Father raised Jesus. I got no problem with that. But there's a verse in Romans that says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus. Oh, is that a coincidence? Is that a contradiction? No. One God. Who raised Jesus? God. But John 2.19 says, Jesus talking, destroy this temple, meaning the temple of his body. He says it in the next verse. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it. Mistake? No. Who, rose, who raised Jesus from the dead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God raised Jesus from the dead. Who created the world? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
um, who spoke at the baptism. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Um, uh, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Remember, in the name, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, no analogy can adequately explain who God is. None. We're talking about God here. The best one I've heard. I don't like the egg and the shell and the yolk. I don't like that. Okay. This isn't great, but this is my favorite. You got a pot of water on the stove. You with me? It's boiling. Okay. The heat's on high. The water's boiling. Chemically, water is H2O, right? Write that down. It's going to be on the quiz. H2O is in the pot. It's water. It's a liquid. But the water's boiling, and now some steam is coming off, which is not a liquid. It's a gas. Oh, wait. So now we have two things in the pot, steam, which is a gas, and water, which is a liquid, but they're both H2O. At a precise moment, you throw in a big block of ice, and it won't take long for the ice to be gone. But for a little while, you've got a solid, a liquid, and a gas, and they're all H2O. Right? They're separate but they're the same. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, we already talked about that. Christ and the Father are both called God, Creator, Savior, the one who resurrects, the one who indwells, the one that's everywhere, the one that knows everything, uh, omniscient and omnipresent. Um, we're told to believe in both. Both give joy. Both will judge the world. Both are called Alpha and Omega, first and last. Um, one more place we should go before we leave this Trinity thing is Hebrews chapter one. So turn in your Bible, it's take a right. You're going to go about 15 books or 20 books to the right to Hebrews. Those of us that love puns call it the coffee book. Hebrews. No. Okay. Sorry. Hebrews chapter one. If you can't find it, that's fine, but you won't get an A. Hebrews chapter one. I'm, I'm not going to take time to go through all this. I'm just going to read it. You ready? Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What's the subject we're going to talk about now? The son, the Christ, the Logos, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe creation. Okay, so who is this son? Who is this Jesus? Verse three, the son is the radiance of God's glory. Listen to this. And the exact representation of his being. This is another Jehovah's Witness verse I take them to. But I don't read it. I just say, is Jesus the exact representation of the father? Every time they'll say no. And I read this to him. Exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Um, he's much superior to angels for to which of the angels verse five, did God ever say, you're my son today. I've become your father. Um, verse look, skip down to verse six. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he that's God, the father talking says about Jesus, let all God's angels worship him. You can't worship anybody except God in the Bible. That's an abomination unless Jesus is God. Um, verse eight, 
This is from the Old Testament. But about the Son, about Jesus, God the Father says, your throne, oh, what's the next word? God the Father calls Jesus God. That's good enough for me, right? You might call him God and I might think, you know, you might be wrong. God's not going to be wrong. Your throne, oh God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Um, okay, back to the gospel of John. The only other thing I'll say is that when he's predicted in the Old Testament, Jesus is supposed to be called Emmanuel, which means what class? God with us. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Okay. Why am I so confused, you're asking? Well, keep reading. Okay. So he's also the creator. Verse 4, it's going to get even deeper. Do you see how we're at the mountaintop here already? In verse 4 of John 1, in him, that's the word, that's the logos, that's Jesus, that's second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, what's going on here? In him was life. Now, you may think, yeah, so what? I'm here. I'm, you all alive. Most of you look alive, right? A few of you don't, but most of you look alive and you could say, yeah, so what? In me is life. Wrong. He means inherently. By that, I mean in him was life apart from anyone else. He already had life. You can't say that. Neither can I. You know why? Because there was a time when I didn't exist before 1954. See how old I am? If it wasn't for my parents, Sam and Marion, from whom I got life, okay, it was from God, I get that too, I wouldn't have any life, okay? God has life in him inherently. He didn't get it from someone else. Jesus didn't either. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So we have two subjects introduced that are going to come through this gospel of John over and over and over and over again, life and light. Okay. You'll see him come up a lot. Okay. So in him, he's got some life. If he's got life, he's able to give life. Okay. Now there is a sense in which God gave you your physical life. The fact that you have a beating heart and you're able to breathe and you're cognizant, you're awake, right? And that's not untrue. However, the life he's talking about here is the real life. You say, I feel pretty alive. Listen, the real life is spiritual life, eternal life. He's able to give that. He's got that eternal life. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. You say, okay, now I got a little problem here because not all mankind believes what's going on here. First of all, he's the source of all life. And he's has the light. So it's helpful to talk about light. Um, but before we do, life and light. Okay, think, what's the opposite? If I say life and light, give me the opposite, what would it be? Death and what? Darkness. Isn't it interesting? Mankind has an innate fear of death and darkness, right? Turn that light on going into that room in the middle, especially if you're a little kid, right? Did you ever go to, when you were a little kid, did you ever go to bed and realize the closet doors open that much? You go, no way. 
closing the door. Monsters can't get out of a closet. Everyone knows that. Kind of silly. Life and light. Okay, Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have the life. Um, let's see. When Moses wants to know the name of God in, Gen in uh, Exodus 3, he says, wait, if I'm going to lead your people, Israel, I got to know, who are you? Who should I say sent me? Remember? And God says, I am that I am. The present tense conjugation of the verb to be. He doesn't say I was. He doesn't say I will be. I, period, I am. It's a way of saying I have within me life innately. Okay. Jesus uses the same terminology throughout this book seven times, the I am thing. We'll get into that as we go. Um, so he holds uh, life inside of him. And what else does light do? Light illumines, right? In fact, if, we, if, this was, if it was midnight and dark outside and we turn off every light, it'd be really dark in here. But you all know that if I lit a Bic lighter and lit one candle, it would be comforting, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be a ton of light. You couldn't see your Bible, but you'd be like, Whew, good, we have some light in here we can see, right? And then the light can spread to other people. There's all kinds of analogies we could use, but I won't do that. Light is comforting. Light, listen, reveals things as they actually are, right? He didn't leave us in the darkness. He shows us the truth. Now that sounds like good news. Light. We get to see everything as it really is. And it is. It's good news. We get to see God as he truly is. That's great. But it's not all good news. Because when God gave me the light of his son, Jesus Christ, and it was so awesome, suddenly he focused the flashlight of God inward on me and I saw a big mess I hadn't seen before. Okay? Meaning all the stuff he wants to change in you and me. Some have compared God's, uh, your life, sorry, to a house, okay, with several rooms. And the rooms represent the different parts of your life. This is with my friends, when I party with my friends. This is my education. This is my family. This is my sex life. This is my uh, hobbies. This is what I eat. This is how long I sleep. And so Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And you let him in and you say, come on in. Oh, no, don't go in there. That door's locked. That part of my life is right. He sits down in the family room and says, okay, whatever. For now, we'll live with that. By the way, Joe, it's a little dark in here. How many know what a rheostat is? It's a fancy term. You know what it means? It's a dimmer. You ever have a dimmer in your house? Instead of just, boom, and the lights all come on, it's a dimmer. Jesus grabs the dimmer and just goes and just barely turns it on. And when he does, you've let him in already. You say, oh, look at the, some of the furniture's upside down here. But the couch is on its side. This chair is filthy. Let me clean that up. And then he turns the dimmer a little more and you go, oh, the walls are, are filthy. Look at the windows. What do you mean, Joe? Furniture? No, I mean the things in your life, your the thought life, that your language, your the way you're prideful or angry at people or greedy with your money. Or eventually, he starts unlocking doors. 
right? And goes into those other rooms. You said, stay out of there. We'll come back to that later. Probably not tonight though. Um, life and light. Jesus is both. He has both innately and light is great, but it's a little scary. Just wanted you to get that before we move on. Um, new life brings light. Once you're uh, awakened by Christ and given eternal life, darkness is replaced with light. Stay in the Gospel of John, go to chapter 8. This is to keep you awake. Turn some pages. Are you still awake? Say amen. Yes. Oh, that was better than the first one. John 8. John 8, verse 12. Verse 12, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the, here's the two terms together, light of life. The picture is, go back to John 1 again, the picture is of people walking around in darkness, stubbing their toes, bruising their shins, hit, getting in, hit in the head with a door you didn't know was locked. We live without Christ in a state of darkness, okay? Okay, I can handle that. Well, the, the other one is worse. If he brings true life, then what does that mean? The state of people that when we didn't believe, what state were we in? Spiritually dead. Not sick, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, physically totally alive. You can be an Olympic runner and be totally alive and be spiritually dead, right? That's why in John 3, which will be like 20 years from now, we'll get there. Jesus says, you must be born what? Again, not reincarnation, born again. Because when Nicodemus says, wait, born again, am I supposed to enter my mother's womb a second time? Jesus says, look, you got category confusion. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Um, okay, now we don't have to study John 3. We can just skip that whole chapter. Pretty excited about that. Let's see, do we want to keep rolling here? Um, yeah, let's go a little further, and then we're going to take our two-minute break to stretch our aging bodies and bones. Um, verse... Five. Oh, last thing. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. What about that, Joe? You said earlier, not everybody's a believer. How is he the light of all mankind? Maybe everybody, get all the, all the oxen free, everybody gets saved. Not biblical, right? New American Standard doesn't say all? Oh, interesting. Huh. Well, I'll cover it anyway. Um, the light of all mankind. Here's the thing. For believers, he clearly is the, the light, right? Um, what about unbelievers? To some extent or another, unbelievers have some light given to them to him by Christ. We can't go into it now, but Romans 1, 2, and 3 are the three lights. Two of the lights are given to every single human being. You say, what are the lights? Listen, they all start with C. It's easy. Romans 1 says, everyone, everyone is without excuse because everybody has the light of C, 
creation. You, can, you walk outside, you see the trees, you see fruit on the trees, you see children playing, you see an x-ray of your body and you go, wow, this is incredible. Then you look in a microscope and you see the tiny little amoebas in there and you go, it couldn't just have happened. Then you turn off all the lights in the house and you go out at midnight and look at the stars and you go, there's gotta be a God. Light number one, C, creation. Light number two, C for Romans two, conscience. Everybody's got one. Some people don't listen that much anymore, but when you do something wrong, you do hear that little, you shouldn't be doing this. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have thought that. Shouldn't be looking at this. Shouldn't be touching that. Right? The Bible says you can sear your conscience. You can burn it to the point where you kind of don't even hear it anymore. La, 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 not listening. The Bible says when you, re, when you respond to the light you've been given, creation, C, conscience, C, Romans 3, you get the third C, which is the light of? Christ. Somehow God will reveal to you, this is my son. Let's take our two-minute break right now and stretch our aging bodies, and we'll be right back. Let me just pause the recording. Find your seats, those of you who are here in the building. Find your seats, and we'll get started again. We're going to go back to John chapter 1, and some of you are saying, my gosh, you go slow. True. Well, in any case, um, darkness uh, and light, life and death. Um, by the way, among atheists, they have a theory about how everything got here. Okay? You say, yeah, it's evolution. No, no. We're going way beyond that. Because evolution is their theory of how life evolved from very simple things, very complex things. We won't go into that now. I could talk about that for two months. But anyway, I'm talking, forget all that. Atheists believe that everything came into being, listen, from inorganic either matter or energy, period. It all, but they never answer the question, wait, how did the raw materials get here? It just was. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so uh, you say, well, they have the Big Bang Theory and all that. The Big Bang Theory is that something the size of a medium-sized egg was so compressed, it was everything, and it blew up. They never answer who lit the fuse. When have you seen an explosion create order? Sp planets spinning around suns with moons. Forget all that. Okay, let's get to life, because that was the subject, right? Um, life. Yes, we follow the science. Evolution. Time out. There are laws of science. You go to college, you get a degree in science, you learn the laws of science. There's a law called the law of biogenesis. Have you ever heard of this law? I'll tell it to you in simple terms, and you'll go, oh, yeah, I, I knew it. The law of biogenesis is a scientific law that says all life comes from other life. It doesn't come from non-life, dead stuff. Evolution says, oh no, life came from non-life, chemicals that mixed together and made proteins. And the proteins made a single cell. And the law of science says you can't have that. It's a nice thought but it doesn't work out that way. 
you look at the design in creation, the flowers, everything, the stars, right? Right now, do you know, most of you are on planet Earth right now. <laughs> do you know that you're moving at a thousand miles an hour? We talked about this over the weekend with my grandkids. You're moving at a thousand miles. Your hair should be blowing back, right? Those of you that have hair, I, I have less than I used to. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. 24 hours, 25,000 miles where you are in the earth travels. Thousand miles an hour. You're moving through space. Plus the whole planet is moving around the sun. Are you getting a headache? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's scientific. Shall we move on? You say, it's about time. Okay. Back to John 1 and verse 6, I think we are. Oh, no, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, comprehended it, understood it. You say, why so many meanings? It's one of those Greek words that can be translated various ways. In English, the closest thing we have is the word grasp, okay? Grasp has two meanings. I could grasp Juanita by the arm and say, you can't leave. Grasp. Or she could tell me a story and, and I could say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not grasping what you're saying. It doesn't mean grabbing. It means understanding. Are you with me? Now read the verse again. The light shines in the darkness. By the way, darkness, did you know, is not a thing. Light is a thing. Light scientifically can be measured. It's a thing. You say, what do you mean by a thing? Darkness isn't a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. That's all it is, right? It's not a thing. Light is a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. The world is called dark because there's spiritual darkness since Adam and Eve. We won't get into all that. The light, this verse says, shines in the darkness. It sure does. The darkness of my life, the darkness of the world, etc., and your life. And the darkness has not grasped it. The darkness can't overcome it. The darkness can never beat it. This is not, like we said last week, this is not Star Wars, where there's the good side of the force and the bad side of the force, and they're pretty equal. Sometimes Vader can just win and Luke Skywalker runs away scared. Wrong. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is infinitely more, power than the more powerful than the devil. Instead, darkness is never the, going to win. It can't even understand the light. Verse 6. Now, 6, 7, and 8, these three verses, sound like a non sequitur. Okay, you know what a non sequitur is? Um, or when you're talking, if, if um, I'm talking to Jeff about baseball, okay, and he says, I really like the Dodgers, and I say, well, I like the Giants too, but, you know, the Giants have a great record this year, and they're hitting so well, and Jeff says to me, I think peach is my favorite flavor of ice cream. You go, what? We're talking about baseball, Jeff. Are you staying with the program? Who cares what flavor of ice cream you like? That's a non sequitur. It comes out of left field. Verses six, seven, and eight are going to sound like a non sequitur. What are we talking about? The word, life, light, creation, God, beginning. All of a sudden, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. What? By the way, he doesn't mean himself. He means John the Baptist. 
Okay. Six, seven, and eight are all about that. Look at verse nine. That's all forgotten. And we go back to the true light that gives light to every. It almost sounds like six, seven, and eight is like, I like this flavor of ice cream. No, we're talking about baseball. Why is this? Because God masterfully weaves two things together. It's not enough that you know, as important as it is, it's not enough that you know who and what this Jesus word, son of God, second person of the Trinity is and what he did. It's also important that you end up being a witness, somebody that gets it and tells other people. So interwoven in this chapter is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's God. He's the word. He's the creator. By the way, Verse six, there was a man. Okay, man, different. Because so far it's been the word where with God, with God, was God, creator. He had life in himself. None of that's true of this man, John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God. Wow. But didn't John the Baptist have just a, a birth like Jesus did? Well, Similarly, it was a miraculous birth, if you remember. His parents were old, barren, kind of a Abraham and Sarah kind of thing. And John the Baptist is a man sent from God, but he is a man, right? Whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist, sent from God. Predicted, by the way, in the Old Testament is going to be a guy that's a forerunner to the Messiah, announcing the way, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, and he was baptizing. Interestingly, John the Baptist, listen to this, does no miracles. None. Gets a huge following just saying you need to repent, get baptized here. The, the shock of that is that Jews Christians didn't invent baptism. John the Baptist didn't go, let's just dunk them. And baptism was a Jewish thing. Do you know what it was for? If we're a bunch of Jews here meeting, we would never get baptized. We're Jews. But if Marita brought her friend Harry into our little Jewish congregation, and he wasn't a Jew, he's a Gentile, and he says, I believe in your God, I want to be a Jew, you know what we would do with him? Baptize him. So wait, who is John the Baptist baptizing? Jews. It's astounding. He's saying, you guys are all dirty. You need to get baptized. I know you're Jews. You need to get baptized. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Pretty astounding. The, okay, verse 6. A man sent from God. Name was John. What was he? Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. Okay, what's the light again? It's Christ, right? He, Jesus says, do you remember? I am the light of the world, right? And everybody nods, yes, he's the light of the world. Listen, I got news for you. He says a shocking thing in the gospel of Matthew. Do you know what it is? After he says he's the light of the world, he turns to his people that believe and he says, you are the light of the world. Oh, so we're all messiahs. Wrong. There's one sun in the sky, okay? And there's one moon. Do you know that the moon has no light of its own? The moon reflects the light of the sun. That's why you can see it at night. No sun, you'd never see the moon. We are to be like the moon. I have a shirt someone gave me and says, um, be like the moon on the front. It's always people like, what is that? And on the back, it says, reflect the sun, S-O-N. Anyway, John the Baptist comes, what? as a witness 
to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. There's that key word. We're going to get into what the word believe means. Maybe tonight, maybe next week. It's down in verses like 12, 13, 14. Okay. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. You say, well, isn't that nice? And I say, it is. And that's what you're supposed to be. How are you doing? What do you mean? The people you work with, the people that you, your neighbors across the street that you know, kind of, and the guy next door that you're not that friendly with, and your friends from high school, and your family members that don't know Jesus. Insert your name here. There was a man sent from God whose name was Joe. Well, I wasn't sent from God, but am I, verse 7, a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe? Hmm. Food for thought. Look at verse eight. John wants to make clear just because I'm talking about God and I'm on the mountaintop verses one through five. Don't get the idea. John the Baptist is the vice president of the Messiah world. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, he gets beheaded. His light burns out pretty quickly, doesn't it? He only came as a witness to the light. And he did his job, and that was it. John the Baptist is a model example of what a Christian should be. Number one, humble. Do you remember? Jesus is so great, says John the Baptist, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. Jesus, John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, who's got a huge following, says, pointing to Jesus, he must, listen, he must increase, I must decrease. I know it's long, but wouldn't that make a great Christian bumper sticker? He must increase, I must decrease. Take your whole bumper up probably. But anyway, let's keep, you never see bumper stickers anymore. Okay, a tattoo then. We'll bring it into 2021. Um, he's not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That's your job. That's my job. Now I'm reading my notes. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. Um, I don't turn there, but Ephesians 5, 7, uh, right around verse 7, listen to Paul talking. You were once, uh, you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We are supposed to be reflecting his light. Uh, and if you're like me, you go home and you realize I'm not doing that great. I don't know about you. Um, verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's talking now he's back to the word again. See how those three verses sound like they came out of nowhere, like Jeff saying he likes a certain kind of ice cream when we're talking about baseball. The true light, he's talking about Christ, gives light to everyone coming into the world. Meaning what? A huge step downward. We're going to see it in verses 12, 13, and 14, especially 14. What do you mean a huge step downward? He existed face to face with God in all eternity, all powerful, all knowing, perfect world. Okay. And God says to him, the father says to the son, the world is in trouble with sin. 
or is going to be, I need you to go down there and fix it. And the son says, okay, father, I'll go. And the father says, by the way, it's a world full of vicious, rabid pit bulls and Dobermans. And the son says, oh, okay, well, I'll still go if you want me to go. And he says, I do. Uh, I want you to go. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to make you into a little toy poodle. And they're going to rip you apart. And the son says, okay, I'll go because I love him too. And that's just what happened. He dies in your place and mine. He lives the perfect life you and I could never live. He dies the horrible death you and I deserve. Mind-blowing love. Greatest act of love ever. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world, breaking into time and space, matter, all of that. The question is, why? And I'm not going to answer it now, but that's the question. Why? Why does he show up? Well, he came to save the world. Why as a man, though? Why couldn't God have sent an angel? Why couldn't Moses, Abraham, David, one of them do it? Why couldn't John the Baptist have done it? We'll get there. Verse 10, here's the sad part. He was in the world. He was a real human being, Jesus Christ. He was in the world. He showed up, lived about 33 years. And though the world was made through him, he showed up where he had created everything, including all the people, the wood, the dirt, the rocks, the sky, the clouds, the animals, the birds. He shows up to his own creation. Verse 10, though the world was made through him, the world did not know him, recognize him. Mind-blowing. They didn't know, didn't recognize him. You're not what we were expecting, right? Why couldn't God have just shown up as God? Old Testament, no man shall see God and live. It's so awesome. It's so mind-blowing. He's so holy, and we're so not holy, those rooms, remember, with the doors locked, that it would kill you and I if God showed up and said, here I am. <clears throat> We'd all fall over. He's got to come as a man. If you're going to save a planet full of dogs, you show up as a dog, right? Um, and dog spelled backwards is, oh, never mind. Okay. Too much caffeine before Bible study. Um, the world did not recognize him. Isn't that an astounding thing? Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, there's a sense in which globally that means his own world population. In a general sense, all human beings are sons and daughters sons and daughters of the living God in a general sense. Okay. We're about to see that there's a specific spiritual sense in which that's not true. Okay. Only the ones who believe will get to that, but he comes to that, which was his own. So in a global sense, it's all human beings. He comes and says, here I am. And they, everybody says, nah, just about everybody. Right. But more myopically, what he's talking about is the Jews who should have known 
because they had the Old Testament scriptures that say there's this guy coming who's the Messiah, and he'll be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, and the money will be used to buy a potter's field after it's thrown into the temple, and his hands and his feet will be pierced. This is all Old Testament Jewish scripture, and none of his bones will be broken, and the person that will be betray him will be somebody very close to him who called himself his friend and dipped the bread with him in a supper. All Old Testament. And this character, whoever he is, will heal the sick and raise the dead and touch blind eyes and make them see. And you're going, hello, that's Jesus's resume. How could they miss it? He came to that which was his own. And his own did not receive him. Now, you could postulate, what if they had? What if they had said, hail the Messiah and got on their knees and worshiped him? Be a whole different world. And then probably all the Jews would have spread out to the rest of the world and evangelized and talked to us Gentiles. Because from the beginning, it was supposed to be, the Messiah is going to be a blessing to, get this, all nations, not just the Jews, right? But the fact that the Jews, for the most part, I get that the 12 apostles were all Jewish and the early church was Jewish and then it spread out. But today, the Christianity is probably 98 or 99% Gentiles who believe in this Jewish carpenter, right? Most of us here, right? Um, but it's good news for us because Romans says we're grafted into that tree. Oh, good. And he's done with Israel because, no, I didn't say that. Romans 11 says there's going to come a time when they will believe in their Messiah. They'll look on the one they pierced and mourn as one mourns for an only son. Um, that's Old Testament Zechariah. Um, okay, so that's the bad news. The world didn't recognize him, verse 10. Eh, they sort of yawned. Verse 11, came to his own and his own didn't receive him. Sounds like Oh, so the mission was kind of a failure? Is that right? Not at all. The largest religion on planet Earth is Christianity. Anybody know number two? Close second, Islam. Interesting. Yet, aren't you glad that's there? Verse 12. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay. I got to warn you, I could spend a month on that verse. I won't do it, but I could. There's a lot here. So the bad news is his own didn't receive him. People didn't recognize him as the Messiah for the most part. Yet to a certain group, who is this group? All who received him. The question is, is, is this two things or one? received him who to those who believed in his name i'm going to explain what each of those are and they're not the same thing but in a sense they are they've described two different parts of the whole which is faith in the lord jesus christ that is saving faith that's what verse 12 is all about to all who did number one receive him so the question is okay what does it mean to receive him? What does it mean to believe in his name? Um, I just saw one thing in my notes that um, John MacArthur pointed out. I got to, I'm sorry for backtracking. Stay with me on this. Remember John the Baptist, those three verses, verse six, seven, and eight, a man sent 
by God. Verse 7, a witness concerning the light so that people could believe. He wasn't the light. He came as a witness to the light, right? John MacArthur writes in his commentary, wait a minute. It's a dark world, yes, and light shows up, right? If this room went dark, like I said, and I popped out a big flashlight, I wouldn't have to announce, I have light. You'd all go, yeah, we can see, right? Why does, since when does light need an announcer? And the answer is, in a dark world where people are blind spiritually and dead, you need someone to announce the light is here. And that's what John the Baptist did. Okay. You say, well, we went all the way back just for that. Yes. But now we're moving on. Um, yeah. We already talked about that and that. Okay. Where were we again? Um, okay. The ones that received him and believe in his name. Okay. So what does it mean to receive him? What does it mean to believe in his name? Okay. Receiving Jesus. You ever talk to people about Christianity and they go, "Oh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't go to church, and uh, I'm, I, I'm not a really a Christian." You ever heard this one? I mean, I believe in God, as if that's like, "Oh, well, then you're in." I believe there's a God. Oh, okay, never mind. You're good. Listen, I believe there's a place called Tokyo. Don't you believe that? I believe I've never been to Tokyo. I couldn't care less about going to Tokyo. The fact that there is a Tokyo, and I do believe it, doesn't change my life one bit, but I believe there's a Tokyo. Don't you? So what? Listen, to receive him, you got to receive him the way he is for who and what he is. Listen. If he comes to you as a savior, you have to accept him as a savior, right? There is no greater insult than for someone to say to you, I understand what you are, and they get it totally wrong. So there's people that say, well, I believe in Jesus. I think he was a great moral teacher, to which I say, well, that's true. He was. That's not all he was. That's 1% of what he was, right? Son of God, the Savior. If he comes to you as Savior, you have to welcome his salvation in order to receive him. You can't say, I know you're the Savior. I don't want all that. I just accept you as a moral teacher. That's an insult, really. If he comes to you as Savior, you welcome his salvation. If he comes to you as Lord, which means master, boss of your life, all the rooms, remember the rooms with the doors locked? If he comes to you as Lord or leader, you welcome his lordship and leadership. You're saying, I receive you. I know you're God in human flesh. I want you to lead my life. When you say you want A in your word here, and I want B, I'm going to choose A because you're my Lord. That's receiving him. When he comes to you as counselor, you welcome his counsel. There's a whole book full of counsel from God in your lap right now. Um, when he comes to you as king, he's king of kings and lord of lords, you don't say, well, you're not my king, but come on in anyway. He's not the guy that you invite into your house and you say, you can stay here, but don't touch anything and don't play your music too loud and don't eat all the stuff in the fridge. Okay. A lot of that's mine. You, you bow to him and say, you're the Lord of my life. 
Go for it. Change me however you want. You want to remodel the house of my life? Go ahead. When he comes to you as God, you worship him, right? That's receiving him. If you were witnessing to me as an unbeliever and you said, you told me about Jesus and I said, well, I, I believe, I have my own beliefs about Jesus. And you say, well, what are they? And I say, I believe that Jesus was Abraham Lincoln. Well, good for you, but that's not receiving him because it's wrong, right? I believe Jesus was a giant rabbit. Don't laugh that you would be surprised what weird cults there are out there. I believe that Jesus was just an, a great avatar, one of many gurus and enlightened humans. What does Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through me. You want to come through me? You want to come to God? You come through me or not at all. There's no other savior right? No other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's somewhere in Acts. Don't ask me where I don't remember. Okay. So receiving him as he really is. Okay. What about believing in his name? Well, I don't really believe that much, but I believe in his name. Like when I pray, I say in the name of Jesus, I tack that on always because I know that's the little stamp of approval. Is it? Does it, you ever hear somebody pray and they don't say in the name of Jesus and you go up, oh, God didn't hear it. Come on. The name of for Americans, it's a label. That's Ken. That's Janet. That's Marita. I'm Joe. That's Rex. Okay. In the Bible, the name is everything that the person is everything. So in a sense, do you see how they're related, but they're slightly different? different. Okay. If you've been in this Bible study for a while, you know that I spell cat, K-A-T. How many know what I'm talking about? A lot of you. True saving faith has three elements. K, knowledge. A, agreement. T, trust. Listen, take away one of those. It's not saving faith. I'll show you why. K is knowledge. I'm witnessing to Ken here and he says, um, I believe in Jesus. And I go, okay, what do you know about him? And he says, I really don't know anything. I've never read a Bible. I know nothing. Does he believe in Jesus? No. You have to have at least some knowledge, a basic knowledge. He was the son of God, fully God and fully man. He died for the sins of the world as a sacrifice in your place, rose from the dead, offers you his righteousness in exchange for your sin, and you make him your Lord and your Savior, and you follow him. That's basic Christianity, okay? That's not everything. Let's say Ken has that. Okay, I have the knowledge, and you understand what I said? Yes. K, knowledge. You got to have basic knowledge. A, agreement. He might say, I understand it completely. I don't agree it's true, right? No salvation. Well, he has the knowledge. It doesn't matter. Do you agree that it's true? Okay, now he agrees that it's true. Are we done? No. You know why? Because the devils believe and tremble. They know the gospel. They know he was the son of God. They called him that. Do they believe? Do they trust him? T for trust? No. The T is trust, meaning Ken is putting all, he's all in. You ever play poker? He's all in for Jesus Christ. I'm not betting a little bit of money on my salvation is dependent on my works or what a nice person I am or how much I do at this church or I'm 
my entire trust spiritually is in his lordship and his sacrifice on that cross. He was who he said he was. I understand it, knowledge. I agree it's true, agreement. T, I'm trusting in that and that totally. I'm not trying to earn or deserve salvation. Well, then why do you do good works then? To earn or deserve it? No, I do it in response to or gratitude for the unbelievable free gift he gave me. I owe him everything. Knowledge, assent, or agreement, and trust. K-A-T. Yes, I know that's the wrong way to spell cat. I went to American schools. Um, let's keep rolling here. Uh, how much time do we have? Not much. So we're going to have to wrap it up shortly. What are we talking about there? Okay. Just reading notes. So believing is the same as, in a sense, receiving. All that he is in his name, you receive it. I want you to notice it doesn't say you earn it. It doesn't say you deserve it. You receive it. Okay. If I go to your house, Jeff and Doreen, and I bring you a big gift in a wrapped box, and you say, oh, thanks. And I come back two years later for dinner, and the box is still there. It hasn't been opened. Have they received my gift? No. We, we really don't like the paper and we don't want anything from you get lost they didn't they didn't receive my gift you got to open it and receive it right and receive him for who he is okay uh we already talked about that okay but there's one more phrase that is the big mind blower and then we're going to quit yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God, God's kids. Who is God again? The owner of everything, the king. King's kids who will inherit everything, including the earth and everything else. That we could spend a month on right there. The fact that we can become children of God. You say, well, I am a pretty good person. I could see where God would pick me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Compared to God, we are filthy, dirty, okay? Isaiah, all, I think it's Isaiah, all our righteousness, our goodness, our good deeds is as filthy rags, okay? God gives us new rags, and they're not rags. They're beautiful white robes. It's Christ's record we get to wear. That's why we're saved. When we are saved, we've, what did we do? Received him, believe in his name, and only in his name, then he gives us the authority or the right to become children of God. Children of God live in the house of God, right? With God wants to wants his kids with him. Children of God have a family resemblance. You say in your God, no, 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 no. But we more and more do the things he tells us to to love, to forgive, to be generous, to be um, gentle with people. There's so many things you could go into there, which we won't because we're out of time. Um, let's stop right there. Um, the climax of the section, we're not going to get there, is um, uh, 13 and 14. And you say, well, if we have to come back next week, yes, I'm afraid you do. Um, if you don't, if you don't get the notes email that has the link to this video, you can um, just email me and say, I want the notes. And then you get that notes email as well as the um, link to this video. If you want to see it for one week, let's pray. And then we'll get out of here. Questions or comments or anything. Perfect.
I probably wouldn't know the answer anyway. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you all for being here on Zoom, and thank you all for being here as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, unbelievable mountaintop theologically, spiritually that we've been on. We just bow to you, God, and to your son, Jesus Christ, and we don't equivocate in that. We accept him for who and what he is according to your word, and he proved it by what he did and said. And so we just bow to your authority and his. We thank you that we are, because of that, children of God. That's mind-blowing. And talk about an unbelievably privileged place that we don't deserve. So we owe you everything. We recognize that, God. We ask that you would bless what we've heard and uh, just ingrain it in our hearts and our minds so that we could live accordingly. Thank you for this time, Father, and for each one here. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all for being here on Zoom. I'm going to sign off. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.